Hello and welcome back to our podcast. We're continuing our discussion of Deuteronomy today and it promises to be a very interesting discussion. My name's Cameron. Yeah, g'day Ken, looking forward to the discussion. And I'm Clancy, glad to be here. This week the SDA Quarterly uh, looks at the way the book of Deuteronomy is used in later writings within the Bible and we think that's a fantastic idea and I know in the last couple of episodes we've not tracked so closely with the quarterly but we're we're sort of rejoining the mainstream discussion today and uh, we have actually briefly obliquely mentioned one of the the places where Deuteronomy is used or where references can be made between Deuteronomy and a later writing and that's the story of Josiah so uh, let's turn to that and let's read through that story and uh, we'll see what we see I'll start it's second uh, Kings 22 it is. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalem, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also, have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them, because they are acting faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan, and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Ahikim, son of Shaphan, Achbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal adviser. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikim, and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Haldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Dear me, that's a interesting <laughs> title. Sorry, I'm, I'm derailed a little bit. Um, now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the men who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become desolation, and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, 
and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. So on the wardrobe part that so startled you, mm. the keeper of the king's wardrobe is the, is the person responsible for the king's clothing and for helping him choose it and get dressed. But if you think really carefully about what that means, if you're trusted with the clothes of the king and helping the king put his clothes on, it means that you're trusted not to stab him while he's getting changed. You know, that's a that's mm. a position of really extreme um, responsibility is not the word I want. Trust. It's a, it's, it's a position of really extreme trust, which is why I think they mention that but it does it does seem really esoteric when it comes in the middle of the verse and mm. you're not expecting it i wonder whether there might be a more practical uh, aspect to it as well i mean he torn his robes so uh that's, that's true yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, go to this it... prophetess because her husband can get me some clothes <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah um well it's also interesting because it would have been sort of one of the only working class positions in the society wouldn't it i mean most people farmed their own food, but this would have been a skilled person. Yep, like a scribe or a, or a yeah. stall holder. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I, I've always really liked this story because I like the character of Holder. Um, but I think the positioning of this story is so interesting because it happens immediately after the children's story version stops because we, when the story gets told to children, it finishes when the temple repairs begin. And that's, you know, it wasn't Josiah. Josiah was different to his ancestors. He was different to his father, who was dreadful, and his grandfather, who was mostly awful. Um, His grandfather had a big repentance. His grandfather was carried off um, to another land and spent time in prison there and then returned and spent the last sort of two or three years of his reign returning turning away from idol worship. And then Mm. his... Josiah's father had been a great idol worshipper and probably child sacrificer. Um, and then so Josiah's story we tell and there was a boy king and he restored the temple and they collected the money. You know, this is mm. – and then we stop because this next section is super complicated mm. because why – he says explicitly the bit about Deuteronomy that's making him tear his robes because it's not like – Josiah is doing the temple repairs because of knowing what's in Mm. Deuteronomy. Mm. He's doing them. He's doing the good things. He's doing the right things. He and his generation are restoring the temple. And then he says in verse 13, For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of the scroll. And what does it say in Deuteronomy? Mm. That the curses of Deuteronomy will happen to you if you do not follow the words of the book and to the third and fourth generation of those who do not love me. So, of course, he's going, oh, my goodness, I come from this terrible lineage mm. of dreadful kings doing horrible things. Mm. You know, how, how can what I'm doing change that? Is this even worth doing? Is it even, it's almost like this, the way it's in the middle of the story, in the middle of him doing these religious reforms, is it even worth going on? Can I even be bothered? And I think that's what he's sending the question off to Holder. Like, is there any point? Everything is doomed. Should I still do the right thing? Mm. Well, it's interesting. He sends the people to inquire of the Lord. He says, go inquire of the Lord for me. And um, 
because the, there's great wrath because we haven't obeyed God. And so they went to see Holder. Mm. So she she must have been known. I mean, it says mm. Holder the prophetess. Mm. Uh, she must have been quite a person. You know, it must have been known that if you wanted to inquire of the Lord, you went to her. Especially because this is the time of Jeremiah. This is this is the same concurrent with Jeremiah the prophet. Right. Um, that's interesting. So too, that's one of the reasons why I love this story. And I love it. They, they say to the high priest, inquire of the Lord for us. And, of course, that normally means, you know, put the special vest on with the glowing yeah. stones and ask the Lord a question. And he's like, no, no, this is too hard for me. <laughs> exactly. So it's not just the king that's ignorant. Yeah. It's also <laughs> the religious establishment. We noticed in one of the earlier discussions when we were looking at the the prerequisites for the judges, I think, when Moses was selecting judges, there were certain criteria given. But the implicit criteria, inferred by the pronouns used, is that they all had to be men. Uh, mm. But then you, within a very short time, you get Deborah, who's ruling all Israel. And who's then, the best one? Who's the best one of them all? And so, and here's another case of the fact that, and I know people who are a bit against women taking certain roles within the church are fond of quoting certain verses. Those same verses didn't seem to impede the people at the time from recognising women who had been called by God to do good things and to re- to recognise in them the, the seat of authority. Exactly. And I think, I think the reason I like the positioning of this, it's so reform, reform, reform. Oh, look, we found this book of blessings and curses. Uh-oh, all these curses apply to us. Yeah. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then chapter 23, Josiah's religious reforms. And so he removed all the idols. And so he, yeah. he and, and during Josiah's time, and what's interesting about what Holder says is Holder says the Lord is going to hold back his anger. And, and he does, but it's not what's interesting about after Josiah, because Josiah celebrates the Passover, which has been forgotten. And yeah. then his son... It says in in Second um, Kings twenty four, his son did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. So it's this like this thing that Holder says: God is going to hold off on his anger, hmm. even though you des- even though according to God's law you deserve the punishment. Now God is going to hold off, hmm. and and things are good, and things are following the way of Deuteronomy, the, hmm. you know, the way of the Lord, while. Josiah is alive, and then they immediately change after he dies. He's sort of like almost the last yeah. king with a bit of goodness. Yes, and we noticed, I think, I think four or five weeks ago, that uh, he is the only king. There's a phrase used earlier in Deuteronomy about uh, turning to the left or the right. You shall turn neither mm. to the left. The king, the king mm-hmm. shall turn neither to the left or the right. And that's the description given to Josiah. But I don't mm. think it's given to any other king. Mm. So um, he's he's... A sort of lone bright spot, isn't he? Mm. Except that I think it was implicit, wasn't it, that he had done? Did I read that in there? That he'd done what David had done? He did what was right in the eyes of verse two. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left, which implies that uh, David didn't turn to the right or left, the left either. Although that's not expressly said about him. Um, well, that's how we read David. I think we read David with slightly different eyes. Um, the interesting, one of the, well, there are a couple of interesting things that arise out of this for me, and particularly that bit about um, 
Uh, great is the Lord's anger that burns it against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Um, in a, a number of observations about that. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, uh, we live in a culture where wrongs have been done in the past, um, but we don't want to take responsibility for them. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, uh, mm-hmm. It might well be that uh, if we were to follow the example of uh, Josiah, um, we would be concerned to take responsibility for the wrongs that have been committed um, by our ancestors. The other is that um, it seems to me, and this doesn't come out clearly, I don't think, in the lesson, but what is potentially being referred to in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 31 and verses 24 uh, to 29, uh, which read, After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God. There it will remain as a witness against you. So this book of the law, uh, I I mean, the temple's derelict uh, and uh, I don't know, but uh, given the descriptions of the glory of the Lord in the Ark, one would assume that uh, that glory is no longer there. You can imagine like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, uh, it's, you know, stuck in some, you know, dusty corner. Uh, and, uh, and, and the book of the law, uh, along with it, it, happens to have been left there also. And, and it's eventually discovered. Interesting. Um, he says, it's a witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. Um, it would come across these stiff-necked people again. Um, suspect there might be occasions when Wendy might think that is a fair description of me. Um, If you've been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Moses says, assemble before me all the elders of your tribes, all your officials, so that I can speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn away from the to turn from the way I've commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall upon you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger by what your hands have made. So here we have, Josiah has read Deuteronomy 31 and mm-hmm. said, aha, Uh-oh. <laughs> this is what's happening here. Yeah. And I mean, he had seen, I mean, he he knew that his grandfather had been carried off as a captive. Like, mm-hmm. it's happened once in not the, not that long ago because um, his father, Amnon, did not rule, rule for about three years, um, not for very long. And it's pretty much implied that God kills him because he's that bad um, <laughs> that he just couldn't live any longer because he was really, 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 really awful. Um, yeah. But the I think this is the thing that is it's such a critical moment what Holder says about this and it's easy to sort of it's easy to skip over it and read it like oh she's just repeating the same thing because of what your ancestors do God is going to punish you this is really retributive God is holding Mm -hmm. people to account for things that they haven't done isn't that unfair of God but if you actually look at what she says she says yes you deserve it according to this book according to the book of the law you deserve to be punished for what your ancestors have done 
but God has seen mm. that not to escape retribution because he doesn't know this book. So mm. that's not the reason he's done it. Because yeah. God has seen that you have turned away from idols and you have you are following the way of the Lord. So that judgment is not going to come on you. Mm. And and that's what she says. And it doesn't. I think there's a few interesting um because your heart was responsive, the NIV says, Cam, yours had mm. a different version, um, a different interpretation of that. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I've spoken against this place. Um, and because you're, you tore your robes and wept in my mm. presence. There's a few things about that. I think he Weeping in the presence. Well, we don't know where he was when he was weeping. It seems to me he wasn't in the temple because they'd come from the temple with the book uh, to mm. the king. Uh, so uh, that suggests that although he wasn't in the temple, that Josiah wasn't in the temple, God was nonetheless very near. He was still in God's presence, even though he wasn't uh, in the temple. Um, and and that God is very near and just waiting for an opportunity to say, I'm not going to do this. Uh, wait, looking, looking hard for a reason, like the, like the father of the prodigal son, looking out down the road, just waiting for a hint of a return, uh, and to say, okay, good, I, I, I can now hold back. Um, mm. it seems to me there's a, a, uh, an immense desire on the part of God to, watch closely for any reason at all that might give him some small cause to exercise great mercy. Mm. I like mm. that, Ken. I, I've been thinking about this multi-generational sin thing. Uh, we are a bit upset about the idea of God passing on retribution to grandchildren for the sins of their grandparents. And I, we don't tend to talk about God acting in that way so much. And in fact, Christ goes out of his way to sort of disassemble some of those notions. Who was it that sinned um, when the man mm. was born blind? Was it, was it his parents? Um, and Christ seems to provide a different emphasis in that situation. I do think, though, that we have lost something. I don't think that God is waiting to punish me for something that my great-great-grandfather did. But I think very clearly that uh, what previous generations have done, there are consequences that reach us. And the flip side of that is the choices we make will bring many consequences on the generations yet to come. And and if, if we say, oh, no, we don't think God punishes kids for grandkids for what their parents do and what their grandparents do, uh, that's old and outdated and a bit idiomatic of a certain time, a certain place. Let's get rid of that. And if, if we also throw out with that the concept that even small, in, seemingly insignificant choices to us, such as maybe the continual use of single-use plastic, or, you know, there are lots of things that we do sort of inadvertently and um, that we'll have um, the easiest ones to sort of trace the causality are the current environmental crises, but there must be many other ways in which our decisions affect other people as well. If if we don't, you know, we, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. It might be, even if it's not true, it might be more healthy to imagine that God punishes future generations for our choices than to live in a way that pays no heed 
to the effect our choices will have on future generations. I think it's really, I think people are really, we're really prone to become super upset when other people's actions impact us. But we care, we, we demonstrably care much less about what our actions do to other people. Yeah. And so we get, I think that's one of the reasons we read this and go, oh, far out, you know, this is pretty harsh that mm. people are, because we put ourselves in the story, of course, we say, we feel you know, just imagine, you know, you're being punished for what your grandfather and your great-grandfather did. But we, th- you know, think about how our actions, Yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter what happens in the future because I'll be dead. Like it's, it's so fast. We're ready to get upset by it, but we're not ready to take responsibility for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's, that's food for a lot of thought. We are only dealt with one of the passages that the lesson is dealt with. And I'm, I'm noticing that we're about halfway through our time. Are there any, uh, Clancy, do you have your pick? I know that there's several places that the quarterly goes. Do you have your a favourite one you'd like to talk about? I don't want to leave it yet, Cam. Uh, I want Clancy oh, okay, to talk Cam. about a favourite one, but I don't want to leave this, this one yet because I think there is still a challenge for us that arises out of what you have said. And I think part of what we need to do and part of what this story um, would mentor us to do is to look for the things that our ancestors have done wrong Mm. Mm. and to see that our hearts respond to that and perhaps that we weep before the Lord about those Mm. things and that we make our paths straight and not turn to the right or to the left as they did. And, and what are those things? What, what are, I mean, you, yeah. you've referred to some, but I think we could, I, I would invite our listeners to look for very practical things that they can do, perhaps within their own families, uh, to say this mm. is what we've done wrong. But if too painful there, um, uh, or you're fortunate enough not to have anything that you can point to in that way, um, uh, then as a society, what are, what are the things that we have done? And I mean, you've given some examples, but I would like to think that there are some very practical examples and perhaps single-use plastics is one of them and maybe you need to get your, get your four bins and put your return to supermarket in one and, you know... <laughs> Campaign for milk delivered in glass bottles again. I mean, I don't know what the solution is, but I... I and I, <coughs> the environment is something that I care a lot about i don't want to make it sound like everything's a nail just because i have a hammer but i did have one thought which just while you're talking ken um, on the sins of parents and tying it into this passage and something you referred to clancy about one of the previous kings almost certainly being a child sacrificer uh we had a landmark uh law case last year or the year before uh where there was a, a young girl who died from asthma attack i think she was seven and uh, her parents, she, on the death certificate, it said she died from asthma. Um, on the uh, Subsequently, the parents went through and, and uh, they had fairly detailed records of when her, their daughter had bad asthma attacks. And they compared it to known measured pollution levels. And um, they lived near a major motorway. And it was a one-to-one correspondence on the days, really still days, where the pollution from the road hung around. We the, the girl had a bad asthma attack, almost perfect correlation. 
and they successfully campaigned to have the death certificate altered so that the cause of death, death was listed as traffic pollution. Now, there was no per- one person who decided to sacrifice a child. That we, we, didn't, we don't practice on child sacrifice. But as a society, we've decided that our ability to move around the place whenever we want in mass numbers um, and to use huge amounts of energy and to burn things, it may have been an unknowing choice, but it was a choice we made that resulted that child's life was sacrificed so that I could go to the football. And, and there are even more direct examples of that because there are thousands of people die in motor accidents every year. Uh, so that's the choice that we have made as a society is to sacrifice those people for the convenience of a road system that is economically uh, uh, and socially efficient. And I think, I mean, I think what we're talking about, about, you know, how this idea of making things right, it's, it's, it's exactly how the story goes on. The lesson doesn't, I mean, the lesson leaves it at the end of chapter 22. But if you go on through chapter 23, it is this just litany of high places and asteropoles and pagan altars that Josiah leaves Jerusalem and goes around and tears down. Now, he doesn't have to do that yeah. because Holder has said to him, God has seen your humble heart. Yeah. And don't worry, while you're alive, the punishment won't come. And he goes around and pulls down all of these pagan places of worship that his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather have installed. He goes and undoes the transgenerational wrong- wrongdoing. Mm. And that also has a forward-playing thing because if they're destroyed, then he's taking away the easy slide back into yeah. temple-worshipping of everybody else. It is this, he realises that God has shown mercy to him and then goes and tries to undo the sins of the past. Yeah, yeah. Who, who was the, um, uh, now here's a, next. I'm reading 23 and verse 17. Uh, in verse 15, he goes to the altar at Bethel. Oh, this bit. This bit's weird. Uh, and he's he's digging up all the bones uh, of the uh, people who were there, uh, presumably involved in the false worship around the Asherah pole that's referred to. But then he sees this tomb and says, what's this? that tombstone I see? And the men of the city said, it marks the tomb of the man who of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. And so Josiah says, well, leave it alone. Don't disturb his bones. They can be spared because there's a, those are, and, and those of the prophet who'd come from Samaria. I, I, who was it who, who spoke against the, the Asherah pole at Bethel? That's a callback to 1 Kings 13, uh-huh. where it's, it says, At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam, Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who came here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, The Lord has promised to give this sign. This altar will be split apart and its ashes will be poured out onto the ground. And then Jeroboam hears this and is really angry and he shouts, Seize the man! But the, as he, and he points to him and then the king's hand that he points with is paralyzed into that position and he couldn't, can't pull it back and a crack appears and the ashes pour out. It's this wild story in First Kings 13 that has definitely never been told in any children's story you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, 
and then this his hand is crippled and all this stuff happens. Um, but that's ah, so it's that man of God. But we don't know who he is. He was no, just a he's man, this of mystery God. man of God. Um, yeah, uh, a nameless man of God. Wow. <laughs> hmm. There's some wild stuff in the, the books of the well, kings. You see, this is one of the other things that I love about all of this. You see how it all ties together. Uh, when you read it all and you, you you look at it, step going to the detail of it, you see this wonderful interconnection. They're fabulous story. They're really fascinating mm. stories. Well, here's the here's the segue on to the next bit, Cam, because we're stuck on this this bit in Second Kings twenty three. Let's. I suggest we move to Jeremiah because I had an Old Testament lecturer. Actually, Cam, you know him very well because when I took your wedding, he assisted me. Yes. Um, and he was insistent that you cannot separate the books of the prophets from the books of the kings. He said, if you're reading the prophets, you have to read them with the books of kings at the same time because mm. it gives you context mm. to understand who and what the prophets are talking about. And this is the time of Jeremiah as well. And the lesson moves on to talking about Jeremiah and Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. So that would be a good place to let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. What passage in Jeremiah, Clancy? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. The book of Jeremiah is not organized very chronologically, is it? There's not all the things are told in the same order that they happened. So is this story in Jeremiah 7... At the same time as the as the Josiah one, or is this a, a a different time? I imagine Jeremiah is a very angry prophet. Um, there there aren't really obvious. You're right. There aren't very obvious time cues. Yeah. As to so Isaiah's got some really really you know in this year. Yeah. This word came, and some of the other prophets do as well. In the year of seven of this king, the Lord's message came to me. But this yeah, this is a very orphaned of details it's just a mm. massive rant but let's read the first you know seven verses right i might i might start us off the word that came to jeremiah from the lord stand in the gate of the lord's house and proclaim there this word and say hear the word of the lord all you men of judah who enter these gates to worship the lord thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel amend your ways and your deeds and i'll let you dwell in this place do not trust in these deceptive words this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. There's a lot of themes there that we've that we've picked up. Um, the the that the sojourner, fatherless, the widow. Is a phrase that we've picked yeah, up several times in, yeah, in Deuteronomy. The second bit. I will be merciful to you if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows, only if you stop murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Like it's, mm. it's, it's both really broad and really explicit. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot here that ties isn't it because there's the, the it seems that the people are oppressing sojourners fatherless and the widow and it seems that they are going after other gods um and that's something very much targeted in the book of deuteronomy and there's a reference here to the land 
then I'll let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave you of old, uh, which is definitely, there's a lot in Deuteronomy about, about the land. And Deuteronomy is again and again and again and again. There are so many passages in Deuteronomy that are explicitly about widows, orphans, yes. and foreigners. Again and again and again and again. It's the constant refrain. It's interesting yeah. that in verse 11 of chapter 7, um, he says, Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And immediately you go straight to the New Testament cleansing of the temple. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ken, I exactly. found this in, in Jeremiah 7, verse 25 and 26. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I've persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened ah. their neck. Ah, yeah. See, there are stiff-necked people and they did more evil than their forefathers. <laughs> uh, okay. Mm. Yeah. I can feel a bit of a crick in my neck at the moment. Um. <laughs> uh. But it's it's interesting how much the sort of critical part of the the law and the covenant comes down to this again and again and again through all the prophets. It's doing justice and how you treat the marginalised and not going after idols. It's those three things. Mm. Again and again and again. I mean, the the lesson also references Micah 6, 1 to 8, and that's, you know, the super famous verse. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's this con- consistent callback to that part of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Because the Deuteron- like the, the covenant in Deuteronomy is, yes, absolutely about following God's ways, but God's ways are essentially how you treat other people. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of sort of abstract mysticism in the mm. in in the law. It's very practical, very grounded. Oh, it's so like it's, and that's part of why Deuteronomy and Leviticus as well mm. seem really hard to read. Like you look, think about Le- Leviticus, and this is moving off from Deuteronomy. But if we th- think about sort of as you said, there's not so much mysticism. Mm. And Leviticus gets really bogged, feels really bogged down because every kind of sacrifice that comes it's not about you know saying the special mystical words and doing the special mystical ceremonies it said okay so this one is a bull if you're rich enough if you're not rich enough for that it's a dove and if you're not rich enough for that it's a grain offering and then uh, everything is Mm. made so practical and spelt out this Mm. sort of uh, you know there is mystery because god's behind a curtain and there's some there's incense yeah. burning. There is that. There is that sort of physicality, as well. Mm. But the sort of the way that you make things right is not some mysterious thing that you have to guess about. Yeah, and that was very much a part of uh, the message of Jesus that John uh, told. Um, you or, or actually, that's perhaps not putting it quite fairly, although. Uh, I suspect not inaccurately, but expressly John in his epistles, uh, you cannot love God and not love your fellow man. Um, That was a very clear message that he brought through, and that's exactly this sort of message. Mm, Exactly. And what Jesus says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's the second greatest commandment? Treat your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? The person you hate. And and yeah. indeed, I don't think 
it was the first and the second. I think it was the two parts of the greatest commandment. Um, well, he says, and the second is just yeah. like it. Yeah. He says, what the greatest commandment is, and the second is just like it, or the other is just like it. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, I'm now going to disagree with a, the premise of one of the questions in the lesson quarterly. Not uh, that you've ever done that before. No, I'm normally a, a very compliant... Uh, no, I'm not compliant. I, I, uh, I will not pretend that I am. But... Uh, this is the question. Don't I'm worry. Sure. If you hadn't corrected yourself, Cam, I would have corrected it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, What's the question? Sure. Uh, this is the question. Sure. We're Seventh-day Adventists, and with our present truth message, we see ourselves, and rightly so, in the same place that the people of, his, of ancient Israel had been in, having truths that the world around them needed to hear. It's a great privilege for us. How well, though, do you think we live up to the responsibilities that come with such privilege? I don't agree with the premise. From the discussion we've just had... And from the reading of Deuteronomy, I do not see any instruction for the Israelites to share truths, at least truths. Uh, well, there are different ways you can share truths, aren't there? Um, but I think the lesson is referring to evangelism, you know, doctrines, ideas. We've got to share ideas with people. Uh, the Israelites would, had to share truths. But they didn't. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was they, they were to share the truths just by the way they lived. They were to look out for people. Theirs was theirs was to be the only country, you know, the only nation around the place where vulnerable people were looked after and were seen as precious and valuable, and foreigners were treated well and had access to the legal system. And the only the only nation with a safety net. Only nation with the safety net. Um, yes, and with uh, provisions for maintaining the health of their land and um and their all their system of sabbaths and rests which were great social equalizers and the mechanisms against uh, rich getting richer and poor getting poor uh so i think i think it is fair to say that the israelites had truths that they were to share but i i don't think they had truths to share or were instructed to share truths in the same way that we uh claim the adventist church has truths to share or the, in, in the same way that most Adventists claim that we have truths to share. Mm. It's, a, it's the truth of a life well lived rather than the truth of an interesting idea. I wonder then whether that might be a bit of a segue for us to, unless there's anything else, to, um, uh, to move into some concluding thoughts. Because one of the other um, uh, references is in Deuteronomy, to Deuteronomy in the prophet Jeremiah, is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. Jeremiah. Oh, sorry, in to, to Jeremiah Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. And here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, a command for obedience, including to the Ten Commandments, is given. Um, and uh, uh, idolatry is forbidden. Uh, but uh, in verse 27... The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you'll worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all thing, these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not abandon or destroy you or forget. And we see allusions there, I think, to 
the mercy that God um, gave to uh, Josiah. Uh, but it then brings me to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, his letter to the exiles. Uh, and they're in exile, and he says, look, do things that will benefit where you are, uh, because that will also benefit you. Um, but in verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. You remember there was the promise there that uh, uh, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. Mm. That's a great uh, verse on which to close our discussion, Ken. And uh, thank you, Clancy, for joining our discussion today. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. Our listeners are also welcome to, to join in. They can email any comments they have to the address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. They uh, can, of course, also share this podcast with anyone who they think would benefit from it. And join us again next week.